The first reading may be found on page 165 in the New Testament. It is taken from the first book of Corinthians, chapter 6, beginning at verse 9. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, sodomites, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, revilers, robbers. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And this is what some of you used to be. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand for the Gospel reading. The Gospel reading may be found on page 5, Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 32. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. And it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Let's bow our heads as we stand to pray. May the words of my mouth the thoughts and meditations of all our hearts be now and always acceptable in your sight O Lord our strength and redeemer Amen Please be seated Uh, Thank you Margaret for reading those words not an easy passage to read Jesus speaking about hell Jesus speaking about divorce and Jesus speaking about adultery Friends I wonder which one you want me to dwell on most Um, some of the happiest occasions I've known in church life not the happiest occasions I need to nuance this have been uh, the eager beavers who have set about doing uh, divorce recovery workshops and they run for a term or two terms just to make sure that people who sign up for them really mean business Um, 
can't just kind of go for one, gap it off again. You're recovering from divorce. It's a, it's a bit of a killer. House prices go up. Lawyers get rich. Children probably better not say anymore. But the recovery workshops go really well for those that mean uh, business. And in well over 40 years of uh, dealing with sexual matters in church life, some of the more complicated ones are to do with infidelity. And it is extremely possible for those who have failed in that area of life to find restoration and happiness again. And then, of course, I'm often asked, what about the unforgivable sin, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Uh, Surely, Jesus' words, uh, there's hell, Uh, I'm sending them there, I'm locking the door and I'm throwing away the key. So there you are, you've had 30 seconds on adultery, divorce, uh, and hell. I have had one experience over all the years where I've thought, I wonder if this is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. But if you're thinking it, and you're even talking about it, it's certain, as eggs are eggs, that you're nowhere near the mark. I mean, there's that picture in Revelation of Jesus standing there, and he has a belt around him, and he has keys hung on his belt and he says I have the keys of death and Hades I have the keys of heaven and even in this one particular matter that was pretty horrendous I'm even sure now I wouldn't want to say Jesus has sent them there and he's thrown away the keys there's a wideness in God's mercy that is broader than the measure of man's mind, and the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. Uh, You know that. Uh, We know that. So for all these sensitive topics, that surely is how we need to think of them today. So a, a simple three point sermon, an ironic smile. Matthew's words, Jesus' words, and our words. This is in Matthew's Gospel. And if I was pinned up against the wall and say what's the most important part of the Bible to read, it would be probably Matthew's Gospel. Because there you have the fullest treatment of the life of Jesus, his birth, the way he dealt with people, his teaching, his death, and his resurrection. All the other Gospels, of course, are so important. But what's forgotten about Matthew's Gospel, it's the longest, it's the fullest treatment, and there are five sneaky themes within the Gospel that are sneaky because they're meant to deliberately parallel the five books of the Torah. You have the first five books of the Old Testament, and you have the five pillars of teaching within Matthew's Gospel. They are meant to be held together. And so you do have one block of teaching is the Sermon on the Mount. 
you then have something about the mission of the church that it shouldn't just stay within its doors. You then have the teaching of the kingdom of God for God's at work in the world and we need to discern what he's doing. And then when his people gather, you have the teaching of the church. And then, of course, you have finally the teaching that life is what it is, but one day life will end and you have judgment. The keys of death and hell will be executed. You can't, in other words, just pick these verses out in isolation. It must be seen in the broad spectrum of Holy Scripture. The active presence of Jesus in the world, the loving presence of the church, the fact his kingdom is his, and one day everything will be called to account. I will get to the topic in a moment, but contextually what Matthew is teaching about in this Sermon on the Mount is a framework for marriage, which can't be understood without the start of Genesis and the end of Revelation. The start of Genesis, you have a man and a woman. It is not good that they are alone, and so they are together as one flesh. And then you have the keys of judgment of heaven and hell, and you have the wedding supper of the bride with the bridegroom, Christ with his church. No wonder the Church of England says, I'm sure you won't know this one, Canon B30. The doctrine of holy matrimony is sacred and special and should not be altered. It kind of can't be. You've got Adam and Eve, a man and a woman. And you've got Christ at whose belt hangs the keys of death and Hades. And you've got his glorious holy church. And they are united in marriage forever. And when Jesus pops on the scene, slightly irreverent tone, the first miracle he does for personal transformation is at a wedding. Mercifully, even within the current debate of human sexuality, the Church of England says marriage is a man and a woman. How you do the rubrics cube and get a solution that a man and a man can be blessed and it doesn't look like marriage is a story for another day. I personally don't think you can solve the rubrics cube. Matthew's words about marriage between a man and a woman need to be held in a wider context. It is not good for a man or a woman to be alone. Literally, the word is beautiful. It's not really beautiful if a man and a woman are on their own. They need each other in marriage. It's a fascinating word because it comes to the other discourse in 1 Corinthians where it talks about people who are widowed or who have chosen to be single. Paul describes them as beautiful. Your life is beautiful and holy because you can give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Marriage, in other words, in Scripture and is Matthew's Gospel is so important. But it's not a ranking affair, as it were. 
It's not good that we're apart. We need each other in marriage. And it's also beautiful and lovely if life for you is sustained as a gift from God with your singleness and with your sexual fidelity. Matthew's words are now Jesus' words. Probably hard to hear. If your hand causes you to sin, if your eye causes you to sin, cut your hand off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Interesting words, as we've been reminded, because they connect with other language through the Sermon on the Mount. I tell you, or whoever of you, if you fail, if you sin through your eye, through your hand, then pluck it out and cut it off. These are not, however, exclusive words for those who have been restored through sexual infidelity or who have got remarried after divorce. They are inclusive words for everyone. The Jesus who says, let me tell you, or whoever of you, is also the same Jesus who says, let me give you rest when you're weary and you need to find solace for your souls. In other words, these words are not just for individuals, they are exclusive, inclusively for everyone. Generally speaking, I'm sorry if I'm treading on toes here, I am a man, so I find this difficult to articulate. Broadly speaking, over the years, it is the case that more men are addicted to pornography than women. Generally speaking, over the years, more broadly it is that men offend or abuse or disrespect women. But I have noticed over the years the trend is going slightly more in the other direction. More women are addicted to pornography. More men end up in my study as a pastor because they find themselves victimized and abused. In other words... This word of Jesus is not a serendipitous, sympathetic conversation. Oh, well, do you know what? These sort of things happen today, don't they? It is a stern, shocking reminder that if your eye causes you to sin or your hand is touching something that it shouldn't, don't do it. The fires of hell and the keys will one day be shut The eye gate and the hand gate, of course, is dependent on the heart gate. The words of Jesus, how literally they will come to pass in the fullness of eternity and judgment, mercifully neither you nor I are the one that gets to judge. Jesus does. It's at his belt are the keys of death and Hades. I know my heart, and hopefully you know your heart, what it looks at, what it touches, 
what it lingers and looks at, and what it refrains from touching. Matthew's words, a man and a woman, for once, for life. Jesus' words, you are on dangerous ground now, but I love you and I can forgive you. Thirdly, our words. Much will be made later at 11 o'clock of the cathedral service, which has been mirrored up and down the country in 42 different dioceses where men and women have been ordained. And the wonderful words which always bring a kind of lump to my throat because I've found it to be true, no matter what the bishop says, no matter what the clergy say, God's people stand up and say, in answer to the question, will you support them? Everyone goes, we will. And there's a great clap and a party and so on. Do you know the other services happens at? Under the authorization and canonical structures of the Church of England, Canon B30, remember that? It's a man and a woman. If you're going to confuse it, you're going to be confusing the whole lot of Scripture. Two people stand there, in fear and trepidation. I had one once where she looked at him and said, "This no one else heard this mercifully. Will you please cheer up? <laughs> I thought to myself, although I didn't say it, goodness me, you're in for a rocky bride, pal. The, the gathered congregation says, will you support this husband and this wife? And they say, we will. Happy the Christian marriage, supported by a loving, supporting congregation. Happy the widower or widow or single person, voluntarily or involuntarily, who receives the gift of God that is supported by the gathered congregation. Happy is that person. Happy is the covenant and the solemnity of marriage where under God all things could be worked through. I still know what to do with people with sad eyes. But I love people with a sparkle in their eye. I remember one dear friend, I've never wanted to divorce my husband, but murder him! <laughs> in the covenant of marriage, with the support of others, things can be held and expressed and a husband and wife can stay together. If it does not work out, our words need to be, I love you. Perhaps to our partners, I'm sorry, or I'm committed to you. But what do the words for the church community need to say for those who fear? I used to be in heaven, but it feels like I'm in hell. You know I'm divorced, but how's it going to be? Or it feels like I've committed the unforgivable sin. If you've not read uh, Paul Philip Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace, I do commend it to you. Even the first illustration is arresting a young lady. It could be a young man was walking outside a church one day and was in obvious distress. And a kindly person said to her, why don't you try church? I, I couldn't go in there. I feel guilty enough as it is. 
What's so amazing about grace? No one need be. The Lord is here. The Lord who set these standards says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and feel guilty, and I'll give you rest. I know they might not look guilty. I know they might not look like they've made any mistakes in life. I know it might not look like their eyes have never looked at anything and their hands are always about doing good. I know it might look like that, but Jesus says, I hold the keys of death and Hades and let me tell you, they're all just as bad as everyone else. You'll find people that understand, who care and can pray, for they know the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Shall we pray together? Father, where there's failure, we pray for your forgiveness. Father, where there's lack of welcome and hard-heartedness, we pray for your softness and your grace and goodness. We pray for each marriage represented here. May it be lifelong and life-giving. And we pray for each person here who's known or finding the gift of singleness. May it be in your goodness beautiful to them. And as we've mentioned, the company of your people gathered here today, we pray that we might with one heart and voice say we will follow your ways and we will hold out your words of love. For your dear name's sake, amen.